Our speaker this evening is Dr. Steve Austin. I've known of Steve for almost 40 years or so, reading some of his uh, early material that he published for Institute for Creation Research and their Acts and Facts publication. And uh, I really got to understand a little bit about him when I watched the uh, uh, DVD that he put out on Mount St. Helens back in the uh, uh, back back in the 90s. But I really got to know him this last this last summer. Um, there are several people here. How many people here went on the uh, Grand Canyon trip uh, with Steve, with me, with Dan Ingram uh, last year? Raise your hand, Dan. You, you went. You may not want to remember that, but and and my wife went. That that was remarkable. That was the first time she ever went camping out, and that's some serious first time camping. And she lived to tell about it, and she'll tell you about it. If you ask her. So it was, it was tremendous. And this guy loves rocks. This guy loves rocks. I mean, he loves rocks. Like, like I love ice cream. He loves rocks. Okay. It is just, it, it's incredible. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, uh, just uh, full, full of energy and enthusiasm and excitement. And he's, uh, he's been in the Grand Canyon. He's camped out in the Grand Canyon well over 300 and, Probably now after last year, 370 nights. Okay, many, many times. Rafted the entire Grand Canyon. Uh, spent a lot of days and nights down there. He, uh, a couple of years ago, he uh, walked to the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. He's been scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef of Australia. He's just a, a remarkable individual, but he loves the Lord. He loves good doctrine. And one thing he commented on the trip, he said, Robbie, you bring the best people. He's, he's taken all kinds of groups to the canyon, but, but we, he brings a group. We brought a group from, from here that is focused biblically, solid theologically, Right in line with what, what Steve believes. And that, when he told me that at the end of the trip, that was just a great, um, great praise. But we're going to give some of you an opportunity to do this if you didn't make the last one because, um, we've got another trip, first come, first serve, another trip planned for May 6th through 13th of 2017 going through the Grand Canyon. So you can talk to me or Dan Ingram right down here, anchor point. Um, about that uh, later on this evening. And Steve is going to, you've heard all kinds of messages. You've heard about the parables of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus and wisdom of Proverbs. But I bet nobody here has ever heard a sermon called the earthquakes of the Bible. So Steve is going to come up and uh, we got to hook him up on the, uh, come on up and get your microphone hooked up here, buddy, and we'll be ready to, ready to go. Okay. I love geology, but my hobby is theology. I love, uh, uh, and when I get around good theology, I know it, okay? And I just love uh, fellowshipping. First time was here in uh, 2010, and I just enjoyed the fellowship, and I learned so much from uh, your uh, 
your program, and it was just amazing. Well, I'm going to try to make this work, see what happens here. Um, Bible earthquakes, just call it that. And uh, Bible earthquakes is kind of a, an interesting uh, t- topic to, uh, to go on, and I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about some of my favorite earthquakes. I, can t- I could talk endlessly about them, uh, but past pr- earthquakes of the Bible present earthquakes of the Bible, and future earthquakes of the Bible. Maybe that's uh, kind of the outline, but I'm going to spend my time on past earthquakes of the Bible because I've got active research going on in that area, and uh, uh, I have done some studies on present earthquakes of the Bible, especially 20th century earthquake uh, data, synthesize that, and then uh, I've long... uh, um, just marveled at uh, the, the the references to uh, earthquakes of the future, and at least five earthquakes, I guess, in the Book of Revelation. There's uh, and and uh, the Messiah's earthquake. I'll tell you more about that. What I call Messiah's earthquake. But uh, here we go. Uh, the Holy Land is a land with earthquakes, and as you look at the Holy Land map, you can see running up through the. Uh, uh, the Red Sea, Akiba, into jo- Jordan and Israel, through the Dead Sea, all the way up to Turkey, is this uh, left lateral strike-slip fault zone called the Dead Sea Transform Fault. The Dead Sea Transform Fault. And it goes right through the Dead Sea, up through to Galilee, does a step there, goes up to Lebanon, then it, and Becca, and then it turns a little bit, and then it goes straight up north to Turkey. And uh, anyway, that boundary uh, is almost exactly the mirror image of California, the San Andreas Fault, where I grew up. And uh, so uh, it's, it's easy for me to get used to the geology of the Holy Land because it's just so uh, much like uh, California. Uh, biblical terms, rosh, uh, shaking, or even a roar, the Hebrew word for uh, earthquake. There's a similar word, uh, hafek, to turn over. And uh, that's interpreted in, in context uh, very similar to uh, earthquake terminology. By the way, it's, a, it's, a, it's an auditory word, uh, the, the Hebrew word, shaking or even a roar. And uh, go go consult your lexicon on that. That's how I've I've learned about the meaning. Uh, seismos in Greek, it's a shaking or commotion or a storm. It's not an auditory kind of experience. It's more of a motion experience. And um, you know the themes. If you go look at biblical earthquakes, the themes are three: judgment, deliverance, and communication. Uh, God used earthquakes in judgment, uh, for example, uh, the global flood in uh, Noah's day. Uh, deliverance, God uses uh, earthquakes to deliver, and uh, he delivered uh, people through the flood uh, on the ark. And communication, he, uh, he wants us to understand some things, and uh, like, like the Noah covenant after the flood. And uh, take uh, take any earthquake you've encountered in the, reading the Bible and look for those three uh, themes. The Philippian jailer, remember? Okay, and 
uh, Acts 16, uh, he experiences the earthquake, and obviously he, it authenticated the ministry of the apostles, and he said, what must I do to be saved? Um, and, and God did uh, all kinds of interesting things with, with earthquakes and communication. In fact, you might say you, can, you could do an, a survey of all the major themes of the Bible by just looking at the earthquakes that God used to accentuate the experience. That, that is really interesting. And uh, Charlie one day said it in a short uh, phrase. He says, God both speaks and acts in history. Aren't you glad that God just doesn't speak, but he acts, okay? He's not like the Wizard of Oz or something like that full of uh, of sound. Uh, no, he, uh, he can make things happen, okay? And God both speaks and acts to authenticate himself and his message or messenger. And earthquakes are a sign of the times. Uh, these are the beginning of birth pangs, Jesus said. There'll be famines and earthquakes and pestilences and diverse places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Okay, so they're looked at as signs of the time. And uh, the, the uh, fallen world that we live in is in uh, sorrow uh, and childbirth. And it's like the beginning of birth pangs. And then uh, the way earthquakes are are uh, nestled together with other key experiences of the Bible uh, brings a seismic theophany motif out. How's that for fancy uh, theological terminology by a geologist? Have you heard of seismic theophany motif? Okay, man, uh, look at Joel chapter 2 or Isaiah 24 or Zechariah 14. Uh, Look at the book of Amos. I think Amos is the source where the seismic theophany motif started. Anyway, the day of the Lord, the Lord can't come down and interact with uh, uh, the earth without having an earthquake. The seismic theophany motif probably in the day of the Lord uh, notion comes through uh, probably the the prophets. I sometimes overstate things, but really I think the reason that the writing prophets got written down was that some nutcase named Amos predicted a magnitude 8 earthquake successfully. And, uh, you know, if you predict an earthquake successfully, uh, you got my attention. Okay, because geologists know we're not very good at predicting earthquakes. Okay, and then... uh, there's another big term, eschaton, okay, the finals destiny of, uh, of the future. We're going to receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken out of uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And, uh, boy, you can rest in comfort there. Uh, we'll have a tectonically quiet um, kingdom with Christ. And um, and, 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 and what and, uh, we are... Uh, there's there's a coming cosmic shakedown of both the heavens and the earth, and then we're going to receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Okay, Bible earthquakes, they're described in the Bible, and you can go look at some of those. You can see evidence of Bible earthquakes uh, in geologic features of the earth. I'll talk about Grand Canyon specifically 
you can see damage seen in archaeological excavations, and if you look at the right levels, uh, you might, and if you have stratigraphic control in your archaeological excavations, you can make uh, these uh, this archaeological um, assignment that, that we have earthquakes. I'll show you how some of the things I like to look at in archaeological uh, digs. And then we have disturbances within Dead Sea sediment layers, and uh, that's my specialty. I'm a sedimentologist. I study sediment, especially muddy sediment and uh, mud flows and things like that. But uh, Dead Sea sediment itself, uh, I've come away believing, is a seismogram of the last 4,000 years. So disturbances uh, by earthquakes uh, should be recorded in Dead Sea sediment layers, and I'll talk more about that. Uh, se uh, seven greatest uh, Bible earthquakes of the past, uh, the, the, the past earthquakes here. Creation week, day three, several thousand years ago. On day three of creation week, God took the earth where the oceans were covering everything, and he caused the continents to appear and the ocean basins to form. Some type of vertical tectonics between ocean floor and continent caused 340 million cubic miles of water to uh, to go into the basins. And uh, could you imagine the earthquake uh, that, that was occurred there? And then God caused it to become stable. And uh, that's the references to the foundations of the earth. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God said to Job. Of course, Job wasn't there. Uh, about the only people that may have been there were angels. And I think that was a message to angels. You know, maybe an angel blinked, you know, when light was created, okay, or something like, or, you know, when God, uh, when he created by fiat, but when he created by process, by creating the ocean basins, uh, on day three of creation week, uh, no angel could have blinked and missed that. They're not the sovereign creator. And, uh, you know, that's the most powerful event in the history of the planet is day three of creation week when the uh, the foundations of the earth were established. Uh, the global flood several thousand years ago, I love uh, looking at rock layers and thinking about the faults and the tectonics that was going on in the flood. In fact, uh, the, the verb, the fountains of the great deep were broken up. That verb is beka, and it means to split apart. And uh, it's a good geologic word. And it it's used in a derivative form to describe a certain type of valley called a bica, which is interesting. And uh, the Hebrews have their own terminology for uh, at least five or six different kinds of valleys, and um, it's only translated valley in English. So we live in a topographically um, deficient language pattern with English, but Hebrew is is really... Uh, a good language to describe topography. The global flood several thousand years ago. Sodom and Gomorrah were overturned uh, by the uh, uh, the catastrophe. And uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, about the time, uh, let's see, uh, 99th year of Abraham's life, we have it pretty well uh, nailed down at some type of mid, uh, about 2050 B.C., Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, that's a big earthquake. And the sites that I think could be Sodom and Gomorrah 
need to be more thoroughly investigated. Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, I think you probably appreciate the the awesome power of God that was accompanying the uh, giving of the law. And it was a frightful experience, according to Hebrews 12. And then uh, there, uh, we've, uh, we're not come to Mount Sinai. We've come to the new heavenly Jerusalem and uh, a mediator of a new covenant, Jesus, uh, Mount Sinai. The uh, giving of the law was a big earthquake, about 1450 B.C. And then Amos's earthquake, about 750 B.C., I'll talk uh, probably more elaborately about Amos' earthquake than other earthquakes. Uh, I've written a paper, technical paper. You have that in your pastor's notes, uh, and I've, uh, um, I'll give you my impressions of that because I've thought about that quite a bit. The Qumran earthquake of 31 B.C. is not mentioned in the Bible, but its impact is everywhere in the Bible, that kind of thing, in the New Testament. The uh, about uh, the seventh year of Herod, King Herod the Great, there was this really big earthquake that killed. Josephus says in one place twenty thousand men, another place he says ten thousand men of Judah, and uh, so it's a it's it's an, an extremely big earthquake that t- and chiefly from the fall of buildings he says. So it was probably a magnitude seven point two earthquake, and I can talk to you about how we. We, we know some things about it because of the length of the fault, because of the the direction of slip, and uh, what it did to Dead Sea sediment. The largest earthquake in, in 2,700 years is there uh, the generation before Christ was born. And uh, no one in the New Testament probably had... Uh, uh, no, uh, everyone had somebody in their family who was impacted, maybe even killed by the earthquake. And so it was a very significant uh, event. It was followed by a famine, a famine uh, five to seven years later that uh, Herod uh, had to contend with and all the people of Judah. Anyway, famine and pestilence and earthquakes. Uh, Qumran earthquake right there, 31 B.C. And then uh, the crucifixion quake. I think that needs to be talked about pinch me. I can't believe that, you know, I can talk about the physical evidence of the earthquake at the cross to geologists and now pub- in public uh, the crucifixion earthquake is a re- it appears to be a real event. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the quintessential thing uh, to be talking about. Well, displacements observe in geologic features like Grand Canyon basement rocks you know, in the bottom of Grand Canyon, you've got those uh, Zoaster granite and Vishnu schist, the basement rocks that probably relate to Creation Week, day one through three. Then you have uh, uh, Creation Week rock, probably strata up through Shinamu Quartzite, maybe up into docks right here is probably uh, ocean floor on day three of Creation Week. And then you have a post-creation pre-flood delta in Grand Canyon, Likely, and then you have the whole thing tilted at what 15 degree angle, 30, let's see, uh, 17,000, 13,000, 17,000 feet of strata tipped at an angle like that, and then the whole thing is beveled off, and then the beginning of the flood strata to peat sandstone through the rim rock of Grand Canyon Kaibab, 4,000 feet of flood strata, and then the surface is beveled off, and the plateau is uplifted. 
the plateau now is 8,000 feet above sea level, uh, and uh, but it was under the ocean, or the ocean was over the top of it. So uh, there's colossal tectonics here, and obviously earthquakes, and and uh, so all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and it was a great tectonic uh, catastrophe on the planet. Grand Canyon provides evidence of tectonic events associated with Creation Week and the global flood. And uh, I love talking about that. And you can see it in the rocks and uh, in the layers. Uh, damage seen within archaeological excavations. Uh, excavations southeast of the Dead Sea. The, uh, the southeast of the Dead Sea is probably where Zoar is. Okay. Uh, the key to understanding and finding the lost cities of the plain, you know, the, the plain, there are five cities, Adma, Zeboim, Sodom, Gomorrah, and Zoar, the, or, which was known as Bila. The, the key to finding those cities is to find the surviving city, which was Zoar. And the Bible describes it totally uh, succinctly where it is. It's southeast of the Dead Sea. It's on the boundary between uh, Judah and Edom. And you 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 know those. Uh, you can find those scriptures very fast. Anyway, uh, where where Zoar is is where uh, Lot survived the catastrophe. But all around him are the cities of the plain, and so it's down there, likely southeast of the Dead Sea. And uh, that's a that's a great place to go look because uh, I have friends in Jordan who roll out the red carpet for me if I go there. Excavations in the Upper Jordan River Valley uh, above uh, above Galilee, even there's some really good things to be seen there, and in the the Judean foothills over on the west side of the Judean mountains. Uh, those are some great places. Uh, for example, Babadra. Babadra is the Arabic name. Sodom is is the site, I believe, that we're looking at there. It's a tell. It's about 450 feet long, several hundred feet wide, and the north wall of the tell is gone, and there's that wadi, wadi karak that comes down there. And it's on the way from Masra up to Karak, and so here it is, this this big mound. Love going there and looking at it. Here's the temple site on the south uh, western corner. And uh, anyway, you can see a burn layer there. And there was a wall 21 feet wide. And it's uh, it's early bronze 3, early bronze 4, which I believe is the time of Abraham. And so uh, the, 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 uh, the, the old date for Abraham, 2050 B.C., would uh, fit this very nicely. And uh, it looks like this has been knocked down and toasted. Uh, the, the south wall at Babadra was 21 feet in width. And look at it. It's laying symmetrical collapse. Uh, battering rams from armies don't do that type of damage. And so uh, it looks uh, very much like uh, it was knocked down and, and then burned. Uh, and, and, and then it wasn't rebuilt. And that's, of course, the, the, um, the stipulations in, in the scriptures. Um, in 1977, I was teaching psychology and Bible majors geology. How do you teach a Bible major and a psych major uh, geology? 
you got to have an angle, don't you? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so so I, I basically said, let's look at this scripture in Zechariah 14. Uh, you know, the Messiah will come back to the Mount of Olives, and his uh, foot uh, will stand on the Mount of Olives, and it will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley and half the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley. You will flee as you fled in the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And it talks about all the holy ones coming back with him. And it's a great passage to say, well, you ought to, you ought to know about this passage of scripture and what's going on here. Because when Jesus comes back, you're going to see this. And you get to check out and see if I'm right. And uh, the the Bible and psych majors like the idea of learning about earthquakes in pro- in prophecy, and so it was an angle I used in teaching. Uh, well, 1977, I remember teaching this, and here's what I I said to my I, I I said it out loud. I said, "Wow, that must have been a big earthquake there in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, to be likened to the earthquake when Jesus comes back." You know, and then I then I thought to myself, Zechariah was written after the exile, and I, I said something like that. And you know, the uh, the earthquake was 230 years before in Jerusalem, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem had been in captivity for 70 years. And I said something like this: Hey, we're here in California. We're learning about uh, earthquakes in Zechariah 14:4. How many of you remember the San Francisco earthquake was just 70 years before? Does anybody told you about it? Everybody said, no. Imagine this. It was legendary. This earthquake must have been been felt by everyone in the, the Holy Land, and it must have been the, the quintessential earthquake because that's what Zechariah kind of says. And um, so I said, I, I think I said something like this. Somebody ought to go over there and check this out. And uh, so I concluded the lecture. One of the Bible majors came up, and he said, Hey, I got an appointment to uh, Jerusalem Institute, and uh, we're doing graduate study there, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, ch- I'll check this out. I'll, I'll look for it. And, and then, of course, professors always deal with students, and what do we say? Oh, bless you. We wish the best for you. And uh, go with God's blessing. But you don't expect to hear back from them, right? Okay, they'll, they'll go over there and they'll find something else to do. You know, that's the way it is with undergraduate <laughs> students. Okay. Anyway, this, this fella named Gordon Franz, who, who came up and said, I'll check that out, uh, started uh, a 17-year field archaeology uh, fellowship with... Uh, uh, in, in Jerusalem, and he got to know all the archaeologists on a first-hand basis. And he, although he wasn't a PhD in archaeology, he had all the qualifications to be a dig director and that kind of thing, and plots. And so, every open dig in Israel, he was on for about 17 years. He he, he attended those, and he came back with a long list of uh, earthquake damage. Um, he, he, he wrote me a letter every, every six months saying, oh, I was over on this site, and yeah, what do you think of this, uh, this description I have here? And then he started talking to dig directors and convincing them that there's earthquakes in these sites. And uh, so after 20 years, we decided 
I better go over there <laughs> and make this thing, uh, check it out. And, uh, because Gordon Franz and a, a professor at San Diego State and I, we, we affiliated together and we co-authored a paper in International Geology Review called Amos' Earthquake, an Extraordinary Middle East Seismic Event of 750 BC. It's a geophysical journal where we had 75 scripture references published. And um, the the editor came back after reviewing the manuscript. He said, um, you know, I noticed you have a lot of references to the Bible in here. And um, that is kind of interesting and different than most of the papers we have here. And uh, But I said, it's data. The, the, the scripture references are data. They uh, and what aren't you interested in publishing papers with data? Okay, and so <laughs> I convinced them that to publish the 75 references. Anyway, the Amos is earthquake, an extraordinary Middle East seismic event. The deformed walls at Hotsor uh, were very convincing. The plus or minus 30 years on the dating of the wall to the mid 8th century BC. It's Iron 2B excavation. You can see the wall leaning. And then there's next to it, the leaning walls is a collapsed house with the ceiling collapsed on the floor with the things of daily use. And uh, uh, anyway, the, uh, Yadin, the excavator, uh, immediately recognized this whole layer of the city was devastated by an earthquake. And um, Bill Deaver, University of Arizona, was digging on the outer wall, the north wall of Gezer, and uh, he was digging in Iron 2B, and he was digging this wall to argue that it was a Solomonic uh, city built there. And then when he when he dug it, he found look at the 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 uh, blocks are shifted off the foundation course. Do you see how that works there? There's a little shift here. There's cracking going on. Here's the lower wall leaning outward, northward, the same way the blocks are shifted, and the top of the wall was excavated, fallen back uh, southward into the city. So it looks like a big earthquake took out this wall. Really big earthquake. Iron 2B, 750 B.C. And um, Bill Deaver was the... The, the archaeologist was in charge of this dig. His assistant was Randy Yonkers, and Randy was in the Northridge quake just a year or so before that, that year after they started and opened the dig. He came back. He saw this kind of damage in Whittier Quake in Southern California, and he convinced Bill Deaver to, to talk about this being earthquake damage. Anyway, it was kind of, kind of interesting. Bill Deaver um, had to apologize when he wrote an article in uh, don't get me uh, um, confused with those apologists who are arguing for uh, uh, earthquakes of the Bible, but there is a big earthquake here. And anyway, uh, it was fun. Uh, that, that, that's a really interesting dig. Here in the foreground, you can see the wall excavated. See it leaning? It's leaning like that, so the whole wall collapsed uh, northward there. Anyway, um, that dig, other digs are interesting. Ein Haseva is a fortress, and uh, in uh, uh, Uzziah's day, remember Uzziah built towers in the desert? Okay, here's one of his towers, probably. It's a three-chambered gate. It's 
it, it's definitely Israel uh, architecture, Israeli architecture for a fortified gate, and it's in the region of Edom, and it's in the middle of the seventh, eighth uh, century BC, 750 something like that. So, uh, what is it? It has to be Uzziah's time, Uzziah's expansion southward into Edom, and he went all the way to Elat. Okay, so Edom's uh, uh, Edom is decimated, and uh, Uzziah is uh, is is in charge of that terrain. Here you can see the gate is leaning. I had him put his feet together so you, he can't make the the picture look uh, faked or anything like that. Uh, so the 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 whole pier of the uh, of the entryway of the gate of the tower is leaning. And it doesn't look like slow creep. It looks like something cracked these rocks. So you see the cracking going on. Anyway, that's earthquake damage, I think. And uh, the excavators recognize that as well. Well, um, if you're interested in teaching Amos, uh, take a look at the outline of Book of Amos. I've given it to you in the resource material. Um, um, if you don't know the book of Amos, you can fall in love with it just by learning about the context of Amos's prophecy. Uh, it's become my favorite book of the Bible. Amos is, is remarkable. Anyway, uh, the superscript of Amos says what? Uh, the words of Amos which he saw concerning Israel and in, in Judah in the days of Jeroboam, king of Israel, during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, two years before the earthquake. The book is dated by an earthquake, and there's 52 years in the reign of King Uzziah. Which earthquake? Okay, it's a it's a land full of earthquakes, and uh, so obviously it's a it's a very unique earthquake. Then the preamble to Amos: uh, The Lord roars from uh, Zion; He utters His voice from Jerusalem. Uh, the the fields of the shepherds uh, mourn. Uh, the, um, and um, Carmel, uh, uh, and and so this whole this whole preamble is given a seismic interpretation by Joel. I'll talk more about that. Then you have the seven judgments, the the, the nation, eight seven judged nations, and then finally the eighth Israel. And then uh, first two chapters, the judgment on the on the nations, including Israel. And then there's these sermons uh, that go on. And then there's these four visions. And the fifth vision is the climax of the. Uh, and the structure of Amos is really kind of neat. And I think uh, it it's one of the main themes is is earthquake. For example, look at the earthquake imagery in the book of Amos. The Amos's uh, book is given the superscript two years before the earthquake. Amos 1-2 is a seismic a theophany motif. Um, Amos 1-2, the Lord roars from Zion, utters his voice from Jerusalem, the pastors of shepherds mourn, the tops of uh, Carmel wither. That is also referred to in Joel chapter 3, verse 16. The Lord will roar from Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem, but he, he cites the same motto, that's in uh, Amos, but then he adds the theophany motif, the heavens and earth will shake. And so uh, Joel is developing the seismic theophany motif. I think Joel is later than Amos. That's my personal 
belief. Anyway, uh, Amos spoke at the Temple of the Golden Calf, a 20-minute speech, and boy, did he talk about God's action directed at the earth. I'll talk about that in a minute. Bethel's altars and houses will be cut off. The horns of the altar will fall to the ground. Houses will be shattered. Surviving uh, relative among the dead, 6, 10, 9, and 10. Um, when uh, somebody comes by and says, are there any uh, any survivors to this house? The, the relative who sees their dead uh, uh, family there says, hush, we, we dare not mention the name of the Lord. In other words, they're not mad at the Assyrian army for killing off the the city. It's God obviously did it. So, and then he, uh, 6, uh, 11, God breaks in pieces the big and little houses. Uh, and then the trembling, heaving, and subsiding, and melting imagery. And then the final vision is the vision of the collapsing temple. If Amos spoke at the temple of the golden calf, and say it's a 20-minute speech, and then, then he has this thing of the collapsing temple, uh, perhaps it's the temple of the golden calf that he's talking about. Anyway, the Lord smites the temple and the temple collapses. And, um, that's the, and, and then of course the eschatology that follows. Amos provides the eschatology for, uh, the surviving uh, nation of Israel. Uh, Amos 2.13, uh, is key. In those judgment upon the nations, the eighth nation is Israel. And there's one phrase which describes in summary what God is going to do to Israel. And uh, where is the action directed? The New American Standard Bible says it's directed at God. Behold, I am weighted down beneath you as a wagon is weighted down when filled with sheaves. Poor God. Uh, he's really weighted down by them, you know, it's theologically inelegant to me. Uh, I, but I don't know if, what, what you think. Uh, could it be directed at the Israelites, as the NIV s- seems to say? Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. Isn't that interesting? And uh, But there's a prepositional phrase it's not crush you, it's crush under you. Okay, in the go go look at an interlinear uh, Hebrew English and you'll see that as a preposition in there. Now then I will crush under you what? The ground. As a cart crushes the ground when loaded with sheaves or grain. So you can you can see the earthquake theme there in that that simple summary statement. And then if you look at it in context, he says, Well, why would an archer want to rise up and shoot an arrow. And why would a soldier pause to put on an armor, just flee naked? Okay, so it, it the, the whole context makes it sound like a, a natural disaster, an earthquake. So I dated the earthquake uh, in, in Amos. I think if you accept Josephus' uh, reference to Amos uh, or to Uzziah's uh, Leprosy happening at the same time simultaneously with the earthquake. It would put it at about 750 BC. I used T-less chronology uh, that's uh, um, modified. But uh, in 7, 
53 BC, Amos speaks at the Temple of the Golden Calf, and then, um, and, and it's in times of prosperity, and almost immediately, Jeroboam's kingdom falls apart. There's a problem in the succession of kings, and all kinds of anarchy breaks out, and then, as it's established, there are actually two kings, kingdoms, a, uh, a kingdom on both sides of the of the Jordan River, Pekah Menahem, and then uh, of course uh, Israel goes into captivity uh, about 723 BC, and uh, so you can see. Look at the litany of uh, across the top there, all the things that happened biblically, and uh, the book of Isaiah is basically starts in there. And so if you want to understand Isaiah, you might uh, think about the uh, the precursor would be Amos. Who wrote the superscript to the book of Amos? Okay, I'm uh, I'm a geologist, and I'm asking uh, profound uh, textual questions like that. So I, I, I know professors, though. I know professors' weakness. And the uh, professors, all professors have weakness. If you ask them out to lunch, they will go if you volunteer to pay for it, right? So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, I asked David Noel Friedman, the editor of the Anchor Study Bible, probably the most uh, famous uh, Judaic scholar of the 20th century, I asked him out to lunch. And... And, uh, of course, I got a question I want to ask him. I basically said, well, you wrote a 975-page monograph on the book of Amos. And um, who wrote the superscript to the book of Amos? I asked him. And you know what he said? He he said, it's obvious. And, and then... <laughs> But he didn't say it in his book. But why? So why didn't you say it in your book if it was obvious? And the next words out of his mouth, you know what the next word was? Isaiah. And you know what my said to him? Which Isaiah? You said there were three Isaiahs, and there were post-exilic Isaiahs. Okay, which of those three Isaiahs wrote the, the superscript to the book of Amos? And you know what he said? We were fooling ourselves. There's no three Isaiahs. Isaiah was a real 8th century BC prophet, and uh, and so I so I really uh, got to uh, talk to him. And then I said, "Well, um, Isaiah is quoting from the Book of Deuteronomy liberally, okay? And if he's a if he's an 8th century pre-exilic prophet, then the Torah must be in existence for him to quote." And you've said that the Torah was concocted in the post-exilic period by a committee of redactors. Okay, you're with me on that? Okay, and he said, boy, we were really fooling ourselves. We know that the Torah was in existence. And my student had found a piece of the Torah. The, uh, the Numbers benediction scroll, he had excavated it. Okay, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. He, ex- he excavated that from a... Uh, a tomb about the time of Jeremiah, pre-exilic. And so, yeah, we we know that the... And, and that convinced him that the Torah was extant before the exile. 
So Amos was probably the discipler of Isaiah. If you look at the Day of the Lord theme and that kind of thing, there's a, there's a lot that makes Isaiah uh, Amos's disciple. Okay, the rit- ritual bath or mikvaot. Uh, the ocean is a big mikvaot. The, the gathering together of the waters he called seas, uh, third day of creation, and here's this uh, ritual bath, okay? Um, and you you know a little bit about New Testament times. Uh, Levites uh, were need to be ritually cleansed to do their their duties, and mikvah was mikvotes were the thing. Here's the mikvot at uh, Qumran, the ritual bath. And look at look at the faulting earthquake down the middle of the mikvah, over one foot of vertical displacement. I think that's the earthquake for 31 B.C., northwestern shore of the Dead Sea, right along the Jericho Fault. So uh, it looks like uh, Qumran was devastated by 31 B.C. Why did the uh, the, the the Nazarene uh, or, or Nazareth get established in Galilee, probably because people migrated away from these kind of settlements. They migrated north where there was more water. Anyway, the water supply was probably cut off or disturbed, and so Qumran went out of business. And I can imagine uh, Zechariah, the priest, going back up and saying, okay, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll offer sacrifice at the temple. Anyway, um, anyway, the earth and Dead Sea mud. I love mud, of course. And uh, take a look at the Dead Sea. Uh, Ein Feshka, Wadi Darga, and Gedi, where David fled from Saul in the cave. Uh, Wadi Zelim and uh, the Lisan Peninsula. Those are five of my favorite uh, dig sites, and we like to dig mud and looking at mud layers. Uh, the Dead Sea sediment core from En Gedi, it was cored, okay, and the upper 20 feet show what appear to be the last 4,000 years of history, and um, it's calibrated against uh, the, the earthquakes, the big earthquakes that caused displacement on the uh, archaeological sites. Those same uh, lines of fault go into the sediment and, and disturb the sediment. And uh, anyway, the the upper 20 feet represents the last 4,000 years, I believe, but you can see these mixed layers or disturbed layers within the lamini of the Dead Sea. And you start at today and you go down, and about 10 feet down is the time of the cross and 31 B.C. earthquake, the biggest earthquake. And there's Amos's earthquake down there about 750. There's another earthquake around uh, 1,400 B.C., could that be associated with the giving of the law or the fall of Jericho walls? I don't know, something like that. And then uh, there's there's a hefty earthquake down about 2050 B.C. And uh, could that be Sodom and Gomorrah? So you, you're thinking the way I'm thinking. Take a look at the lamini of the Dead Sea mud. No organism lives in Dead Sea mud, and it's, it's, uh, it's not intensely burrowed. It's a... Ster- it's... it's uh, Unburrowed, and so it's a very unusual lake with this pristine sediment that builds up. What can disturb the sediment layers in the bottom of the lake? Nothing except an earthquake. And uh, here's what they look like. You can see the disturbed laminations like in a thin layer, like an inch, half an inch thick. 
right there. See that disturbed layer going along there? Here's another one right up here. Going along. So I can, uh, I can, uh, find, uh, the physical evidence of earthquakes there in the, uh, in the sediments. And, um, you can get some ideas of the strength of the earthquake. The technical, um, discussion point is that these sediment layers allow a phenomena called Kelvin-Helmholtz instability. And if you want to learn, uh, if, you, if you're interested in learning what I'm learning about these layers, the Kelvin-Helmholtz instability is a boundary problem where a wave going through the boundary cannot successfully penetrate, and so a shear wave can't penetrate that boundary. So it has to spend its time to mix or even loft the uh, the sediment at the boundary. And uh, I think we know the physics behind what makes this. And so the Dead Sea uh, sediment layers become kind of a seismogram for biblical earthquakes or historic earthquakes. Okay, over in A, you see here the laminated sediment that's built up. Then we have an earthquake occur, and it liquefies or churns up the the upper inch or so of sediment, and then it goes back to being uh, undisturbed, and just the next layer is on top. And that's how you how we can calibrate the earthquakes in the in the layer sediment layers. So there, and we give it a term. We call it seismite. How's that for a good term? Okay, a mud layer which has been deformed by an earthquake. And we can kind of get an idea of what this looks like. Here you can see the, the laminae coming up, and then evidently the earthquake broke loose the bottom of the, the, the sediment near the sediment water boundary, and it uh, basically sheared it. And then the middle of the seismite is basically unsheared, a little bit of crumpling, and then the top of the seismite has been totally uh, brecciated and lofted, and then it it, uh, com- it fell back. And that's a w- really well-developed seismite. And that's that, that's a, the Kelvin-Helmholtz instability uh, proof right there. So those type of things are in there. And so you can see what a seismite looks like. And the thickness of the seismite tells you something about the strength of the earthquake at that site, which is cool. So the Dead Sea sediment layers are kind of a seismogram, historic seismogram, so we can understand uh, the earthquakes of the Bible. That's, isn't that beyond belief? Pinch me. I can't think I'm even thinking that way. Now, okay, now look at this. The Dead Sea has fallen 150 feet since 1960. Okay, so all of that sediment that was once on the bottom of the lake before 1960, a lot of it's sitting up there on these uh, 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 deltas, these fan deltas, and you see the gullies running across right through the deltas? Those intersect the upper 20 feet. So I got huge exposures of sediment if I want to go study. And uh, and um, there's some downsides to it. Uh, it's saline water seeping down those gullies. There's biting flies. The mud banks can collapse in. you got to go in, be repelled in sometimes. You have to have ladders. And, um, yeah, it's just not real fun. Okay. 
But here is, uh, for example, here is what I believe is the 31 BC um, disruption layer, and it's almost over a foot thick. Look at that. Okay, that's on the southwestern uh, corner of the Dead Sea, a place called Wadi Zellum. And uh, then you see the laminated sediment going up. And then look at this right here. Okay, that's an earthquake about 65 years later, after 31 BC. Could that be earthquake at the cross? Okay, and it it, it looks like it's a northern earthquake because the, the amplitude of the deformation in that layer increases as you go north. So Jerusalem would be a, a, a possible site. If it is Jerusalem, then it would be an earthquake of about magnitude 5, maybe 6. What was the earthquake at the cross like? Okay, according to the text of Matthew, Matthew 2751, it cracked rocks, it rolled away stones, and the earthquake is what convinced the centurion. When he saw the earthquake and the things that were done, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Okay, and so the earthquake was really instrumental in, in the context of fitting together the appreciation of who the Son of God was that was being crucified. And he, uh, well, uh, what was the earthquake like? Now, believe it or not, I've been on the epicenter of an earthquake twice in my life. Okay, the epicenter of an earthquake is very unusual because all of the earthquake waves hit you at once, and it sounds like an explosion going off. If you're distant from an earthquake, and it's a big earthquake, you'll feel the spacing out of the waves. And I find myself timing. When I feel an er the P wave from an earthquake, I immediately grab my watch and start measuring the number of seconds because I'm going to feel the next wave, which is called S wave. And then beyond that, I'm going to feel the surface, the undulation of the rolling waves coming. So, But the distance between the P and the S wave, that time is uh, the distance to the epicenter. And uh, But if you're on the epicenter, all the waves hit you at once. Wham! Okay, and when it sounded like a cannon going off, uh, that's what I immediately when I was when I felt the earthquakes, uh, the two earthquakes, I said, "Did something explode? What's going on?" And then if, if I felt the concussion in the air, not as much as I felt the vibration in my feet. So you could tell it was an earth-based uh, uh, emanation. So a, 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 if it was a magnitude. 5.5 or possibly 6.0 earthquake, it could definitely crack rocks. and no, Nobody could have slept through it in Jerusalem, okay, an earthquake like that if it was uh, there in the afternoon, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. On Okay, Jesus' comment. Let's talk about modern earthquakes. How am I doing on time there? Robbie, am I doing okay? Jesus' comment on modern earthquakes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Jesus' comment on modern earthquakes. Okay. Uh, watch out, lest no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am Christ. I will deceive many. Uh, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Uh, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. 
And that uh, that's somehow stated as a sign or a non-sign to precede the real signs. Uh, my in, my take on it initially was it uh, Matthew 24 and the introduction here is the non-signs to precede the signs. I took the volverd kind of interpretation, and uh, maybe that's wrong. Um, I co-authored with an author with a New Testament scholar who took that position as well on a paper. Uh, but I'm not real uh, pushy about it. It could be a sign. Could there be an earthquake sign in the present? Um, anyway, Hal Lindsey believes there is. Uh, earthquakes continue to increase in intensity. Uh, the number has increased dramatically, and all that. And and I, as I as I read Hal Lindsey, I'm looking at the frequency of earthquakes from my sources, and they're decreasing in intensity. And uh, Grant Jeffries the same way. Killer quakes are on the increase. Finally, in the 90s, as the uh, present at the present rate, we will experience 125 major killer quakes in the decade. And um, I think he's wrong, and he's using poor data. And so what I've done is I've been involved with uh, collecting data myself. This is the Zerbies data file. Uh, managed by the National Earthquake Information Center, I plotted the 20th century, and you you see the uh, frequency. Uh, there's about 20 magnitude 7 and greater earthquakes globally per year on the average, but it varies quite a bit around the average. And so uh, it looks like a declining trend. Do you see that? And um, that's what I appreciated even not having gone to the data very much was that there's a declining trend and so when uh, uh, Hal Lindsey wrote late great planet earth we're in a we're in a lull in a low on big earthquakes and uh, so um, you know what what's the make of that that's magnitude 7 and greater uh, magnitude 6.5 and greater let's see if I can do that here it is Magnitude 6.5 and greater. The the data set is incomplete before about uh, 1931 because we didn't have a global array of seismographs to measure um, magnitude 6.5 earthquakes globally, but it seems to be a declining trend. And you notice they have that 35-year kind of cycle to it. I, I plotted the polynomial through it, the 10th order polynomial, so it tends to vary like that. That looks like birth pangs. To me, okay, <laughs> that, that's okay. Uh, that's the data source, and uh, so uh, now I believe it was a flood in the past, and there's been an exponential decline in tectonics from the flood just thousands of years ago. So I could predict that, okay, on the basis of Second Peter three and some other things. You know, uh, we should be in a declining tectonic time. Okay, and even uh, magnitude uh, 5 and greater since uh, 1975, it appears to be in a in a decline. So um, I don't think there's an earthquake sign right yet. Now, it could be an earthquake sign, uh, Book of Revelation, and maybe uh, if uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Magog, and the, and the earthquake described there, some type of lead sign. So many prophecy teachers affirm a pronounced increase in the frequency and intensity of 20th century earthquakes. Global and regional earthquake data indicate decrease in the frequency and intensity of 20th century earthquakes. 
and regionally earthquakes appear to be in a lull. Okay, and often you you you, you find yourself thinking uh, that's fortunate. Okay, God is blessing us by not having many earthquakes. Not, uh, the atmosphere is clear because we don't have a lot of volcanoes. But uh, 150 years ago, we had some pretty good sized volcanic eruptions, even earlier in the 20th century. So anyway, we, we're we're blessed by grace right now with uh, a decrease in earthquake intensity. So uh, earthquake deaths worldwide are not significantly higher than in earlier centuries, even though we're making better buildings. Buildings uh, kill people, not uh, not earthquake collapsing buildings. Okay, in the future we have the big uh, earthquake. Uh, what five uh, big earthquakes in the Book of Revelation are described? The f- the last earthquake is what I call Armageddon's earthquake, and you know uh, uh, Revelation 16. Every island will flee away. Mountains will be cast into the sea. There'll be uh, rocks falling out of the sky. Uh, really uh, uh, distressing natural disasters are occurring. And um, Hebrews says there's a coming cosmic shakedown. And uh, you quoting um, Old Testament prophets. Uh, and then, of course, we have Hebrews 12:26. I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And then, then it's, then it says, uh, um, 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 will give you a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So that's the interesting cosmology. Earthquakes are described in the Bible. Uh, there's displacement observed in geologic features from creation and the flood, especially. There's damage seen in archaeological site disturbances and Dead Sea sediment. So, uh, Wow, God's word is really good, isn't it? Um, amazing. Uh, so celebrate how good God's word is. Uh, that's uh, that. That's the bottom line of what I'm I'm talking about here tonight. Thank you, Robbie. You want to do some questions? Thank you. Okay, anybody have any questions? Hold up your hands. Anybody know what to question? Okay, here's a couple over here. That's, that's good. Steve, thanks a lot. That was, uh, that was really good. You know, some people uh, may not understand the significance of some of these because these are not things that you normally get when you're going through the Bible, and a lot of theologians and pastors don't have the uh, expertise to look at, um, at the geology here, and this has incredible evidentiary value that uh, supports the accuracy of the biblical text. And this is an age in which we live when the, when the inerrancy of the Scripture is coming under more and more attack from evangelicals who supposedly hold to inerrancy. Okay, so this is important. It, it may not be, and you know, when you look at Matthew 24, the question is, what are the signs of your coming? And you have a whole list of those things. So I think that is that shows an increase of earthquakes within the tribulation, tribulation period, period, not leading up to it, because okay. that would be a sign of, you know, the, uh, within the church age. Now, there may be some things going on, but, but a lot of those things that are mentioned there have been going on basically ebb and flow, famines and uh, wars and rumors of war and earthquakes. 
that sort of thing. So These are the beginning of birth pangs, present tense. Yeah, but the birth pangs, I yes. believe, occur within Daniel's 70th week, Okay, not preceding it. All right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a susceptible to listening to really good uh, the theology. See, the birth is when the kingdom is born. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so the labor pains are when, start when the Lamb receives the scroll and begins to execute his judgments during Daniel's 70th mm-hmm. week. That's what sets up the, the beginning of those birth pains. Very good. All right, thank you, Dr. Austin. I really appreciate it. It's fascinating. And uh, my question is, when you look at this dead sea strata uh, compared to flood strata, is it on top of the flood strata, and how can you differentiate between the two? Well, we haven't uh, drilled the uh, the full way down underneath the, uh, the the layers in the bottom of the lake. We know something about them, but there's an ice age lake that sits underneath the uh, the, the post ice age lake that we're we're talking about the upper 20 feet, and then underneath that are the flood strata, and you can see them up on the sides of the valley because the the deep uh, the, the lake was much bigger in the Ice Age time, and so the pre-Ice Age lake gives way to the flood strata underneath. That's what I, I believe. And that, uh, you may uh, be aware of Masada, okay, and the Judean limestone that forms the hill. That's flood strata, okay, and that's flood strata there. Jesus died on a cross attached to what? Flood strata. That's kind of interesting. Okay, the, right there in Jerusalem. It's, it, it, you know, that... Uh, uh, that's what it looks like to me. Just to add, if I could add something to the uh, discussion about birth pangs. Yes. Um, if, when you study the birth pangs parallel with the seal judgments in the book of Revelation, there's a direct parallel between the two. Okay. In other words, each... Each birth pang lines up directly with, and it lines up chronologically with the seal judgments. Okay. So that kind of supports Dr. Dean's point. Okay. I can, uh, I, I'll, I, uh. I'll pay you later. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to be convinced. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, an open. Okay. Somebody over here. By the way, when Dr. Dean talked about, uh, you know, getting good theology, when, when I heard covenant theology expounded to me on the, and having studied the earthquakes of the Bible, I said, this is junk. Okay. <laughs> I just, I couldn't see how anybody could, could be a covenant, uh, and I don't know, just, maybe it was the way I'm hardwired or something. Okay. But good theology, I think, is dispensational. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, uh, Dr. Austin. Uh, can you, do you know why the Dead Sea settlement dropped uh, 150 feet in a half a century? It's dropping about a meter per year because of irrigation uh, in the Jordan Valley, likely, yes. And then the groundwater in the side canyons is uh, lower because of the aridity, and so there's not a lot of groundwater coming in. During the Ice Age time, there's a lot of water coming underground into the Dead Sea. That's that's held back now. And then, of course, irrigation 
especially in Hula, up uh, north of Galilee, up in the Hula Basin. Up there is uh, where the primary water source has been. That's been uh, diverted for farming, which I think is good. Now they have a, a plan to uh, take uh, Red Sea water, red, red-to-dead uh, transport system, bring water into the Dead Sea from the ocean, which is a good thing. So, and then they've been evaporating uh, the the southern uh, basin of the Dead Sea for salt, okay, and ag- agricultural potash. So the 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 whole potash industry that's also affected the lake level. But it would have happened anyway, uh, even without global warming, I think. But yeah. <laughs> All right, Bob. Uh, can we equate the uh, earthquake and is Can we equate the earthquake in Ezekiel 38, you know, the Gog invasion that talks about you know, every creature in the sea, on earth, you know, cliffs, mountains fall down? Can we equate that with the earthquake in the seventh bowl judgment that says, you know, nothing like this has ever happened again, and Jerusalem split into three sections? Can those, in other words, if we can equate those and we can date... Yeah. The invasion of Gog and Magog. Uh, what I learned from Arnold Fruchtenbaum when I asked him that question was, Israel is dwelling in safety when the Gog Im- Magog invasion comes, and that um, it results in the conversion of the nation Israel. They 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 convert to Christ or, or other whatever's going on, and then but the um, the seventh um, bowl judgment earthquake is they're not dwelling in safety <laughs> okay and so I, I think the context of the two earthquakes is I, I don't know what to make of that uh, is there and 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 you're the you're the people that should be able to handle you know make make that happen <laughs> if you can tell me well dr. woods gave a paper here on that on Ezekiel 38 and 39 okay aren't you publishing on that this year you want to comment on that um, the, the view that I took on this last year, which is the view I got from uh, my uh, professor Harold Honer, uh, chapter 38, this is just one of many views, but chapter 38 would occur with the second seal, and then chapter 39 would um, uh, relate to events at the end of the tribulation. So okay. if that view is correct, I think there is a parallel between the earthquake of Revelation 16 and what you see in chapter 39, if the Harold Honer view is right. And if all the saints are with him, when you come back to the Mount of Olives, you get to see it, right? We get to see it. That was just kind of interesting. So so we'll be there. You'll be there to check me out, see if I got it right. And if you have your iPhone, you can take a video. <laughs> Since Robbie's passing out money to kind of confirm his... Uh, interpretation of (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm teaching the olivet discourse right now and i would agree with that uh except for the fourth seal that's the only one that doesn't parallel but the other one seemed to parallel uh matthew chapter 24 Mm -hmm. the question i had was um would you put the earthquake at the resurrection as kind of the after effects of the 
crucifixion. Aftershock. Aftershock. Uh, yeah. That's that's typical right. of a magnitude five earthquake. Is right. you're going to have aftershocks right. that locally will be felt. And um, yeah, uh, so it just happens to. Well, God didn't need an earthquake to roll away the uh, the stone. Jesus, uh, they it rolled away the stone so we could see that it was empty. That's basically it. That's why. Um, is there any indication of ice ages in the Bible? Mention of ice age in the Bible. Yes. Uh, I would say the book of Job has lots of references to ice and snow that seems kind of problematic from what we know about Edom today. And uh, I think uh, Job is over in um, Jordan somewhere. He's over uh, Edom that way. And so, um, yeah, uh, there. And and the the member Abraham he he saw all uh, and looked down with Lot and Lot saw that the the valley of the Jordan was well watered, okay, uh, that that meant well irrigated. It was so there was a lot of agriculture going on more more than we have today. So the climates have changed radically, I think. And uh, so that would there's climate change in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yes, definitely. Well, thanks, well, Steve. We need to uh, go ahead and shut down now. Uh, we'll be back in the morning. I'll close in prayer in just a minute. Just remind everybody to be back in the morning. One other thing is that we have folks who need to. I know everybody likes to stand around and visit and chat, but but um, we have folks who need to lock up, get home, so that they can come back early in the morning and open up. So please uh, keep that in mind as you're fellowshipping. Those who need to ride back to the La Quinta, if you meet out here in the foyer, uh, back here where Cheryl is standing over here in the door, then you can do that. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we can be encouraged and that uh, learn this uh, unique, distinctive information that that um, Steve has to share with us. And, Father, we are, you know, it, it, we, our trust is in your word because it's your word, but these are things that help confirm and validate that which is said in your word. And for that, we're we're grateful for these these confirmatory signs. Now, Father, we pray for each one going home tonight that they might be able to travel home safely, get a good night's rest, and be back sharp and mentally focused in the morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.